reading for the second Sunday after Epiphany. It comes from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained him with that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, folks, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Here's something that I know about myself. I have certain things that make me a little weird, where I don't line up with a lot of other people. You know, I'm okay with this. I know this about myself, but let me break it down for you. For instance, very few people like going to the dentist. You hear them say, oh, I gotta go to the dentist, and they dread it. I don't mind going to the dentist. I mean, it's not like my favorite thing to do, but I don't mind it. It's like, oh, I gotta go to the dentist. Okay, I gotta be cleaning, I, I leave. Okay, no big deal. There's another thing that makes me weird, another item something that I kind of geek out about and probably enjoy far more than I should? Taxes. Now, this is not to say that I like paying taxes. I mean, taxes are taxes. They just are. They're something that we do as part of society. But we're just about to tax preparation time here in our little corner of the world. You know, we get a few more weeks down the road, all the various tax forms will come in, and we'll prepare our taxes. And I actually enjoy doing that, probably far more than I have any right to. I don't mind doing the taxes. And it's probably because I'm a little bit of a math nerd and there's a lot of math involved in it. I actually kind of enjoy the process. But for me, in my role as a pastor or in my job as a pastor, I have to take this one step farther because my tax type situation is sort of gray area. As a pastor, I am both considered to be kind of an employee of the congregation and I'm also considered to be self-employed. And because of this strange situation, I have to, or I fall under the category of the type of people who have to pay in estimated quarterly taxes four times a year. And so when it's time to start thinking about those quarterly taxes, which we're actually at right now because this week involves the first paycheck of the year, and I have to know how much of my paycheck I have to save in order to then make those estimated payments to be able to anticipate how much I will pay in. And so I have to do more calculating. There's worksheets to go through, and it's all based on current year's 
tax stuff and, and, and salary amounts and all of this different stuff all kind of figures in. But I enjoy it far more than I should. Again, it's the math brain in me. It's the math nerd in me. And it makes me weird and different than other people. And I'm OK with that. But I bring all of this up because it's the idea of expectation or anticipation of knowing what I need to do in the future, knowing what to expect. That is where I am connecting into our story for today. Now, if I start talking about expectation, perhaps your brain goes, wait a minute, expectation, wasn't that the season of Advent that we had back in December as we were preparing ourselves, as we were anticipating the birth of Jesus? And yes, but now here in Epiphany, as we are looking at ways that the, the Messiah is revealed to the world, I start thinking about the idea of anticipating or expectation of what does Messiah mean? What do we expect from the Messiah? And I think that is present within our story for today. Now, we got to back up just a little bit. Again, our story for today is a continuation of the story of Jesus' birth. No, excuse me, not his birth, of his baptism, which was last week's scripture lesson and the first part of the story we pick up about halfway through. We here, post-baptism of Jesus, we got the guy named John the Baptist, and his role, especially here in John's gospel, is pointing out the Messiah. He is a witness, and he's bearing witness to the Messiah. Now, I'm going to make a little side note. I've got to make a stipulation here. John the Baptist, John the guy who wrote the gospel of John, two different people. Just be aware, they're two different people. But here in John's gospel, the role of John the Baptist is to bear witness to Jesus. Now, that's exactly what he does. As our narration picks up today, we hear it's the day after the baptism of Jesus, the day after the heavens were ripped open and the presence of God was booming out or the voice of God was booming out. This is my son, the beloved of whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of a dove and landed on Jesus. We hear John the Baptist kind of talk about that just a little bit. That all happened the day before. And it seems that the whole crowds are still hanging around in this area, including Jesus. And as Jesus comes walking by John, he makes a proclamation, and he calls him by a title. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, from this point, John the Baptist kind of starts waxing poetic a little bit about what had happened the day before and how he knows it's a big deal, and he had a little divine revelation that was all tied into the whole thing. And that's the end of that day. Then it's another day later. We have, we're jumping ahead in time ever so slightly. And we hear the proclamation or the, 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 the name given by John to Jesus. Yet again, John the Baptist is hanging out with a couple of his disciples. Remember, he had disciples as well. And Jesus comes walking by and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now those two disciples heard it and they're like, Oh, interesting. Okay, let's go check this out. And they start following after Jesus. We hear one of them is Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples. And they're traveling along, they're following along, they're, they're, they're kind of trailing along after Jesus. Jesus seems to be aware of this. And he asks them an important question. What are you looking for? What do you want? What do you expect? What are you looking for? Can't help but think Andrew is maybe just a little bit taken off guard with this question. And he's like, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? Once again, Jesus says, come and see. He offers that invitation for them to come and experience this time. Come and spend this time. Come and see for yourself. Come and experience it for yourself. 
They spend some time together. And folks, we don't know what went on in that time that Andrew and this other random guy spend with Jesus. I wish I did, but it seems to be pretty impressive. Whatever Andrew experiences brings about a change in him. And he goes from this term of respect of rabbi now to we have found the Messiah. And he knows he needs to get in on the action of invitation as well. And so he's like, I got to get my brother. And he runs off and he finds his brother, Simon. We have found the Messiah. Come and see. Come and see it for yourself. And Simon does. And he has the encounter with Jesus. And in this encounter, he has an identity change. You are called Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. He gets a new name. And I can't help but think Andrew probably also had an identity change because he becomes a follower of Christ. I can't help but think he's also probably becoming a child of God. But all of this is through this encounter that's our story for today. And again, we don't know what happens sort of behind the scenes. We don't know what happens during those encounters. All we have is the little bit from the scriptures. But I find myself wondering what happened, but also the important question that Jesus asked of what are you expecting? What are you looking for? What do you want from God? And I can't help but think that's a question that we probably all need to ask ourselves because it changes. It's different from person to person. And even within the individual, it's probably different from moment to moment from to moment. What are we looking for when we come before God? What do we hope for from God? And that question is also present when we start to think about the Messiah. Now, Jesus is called the Messiah, and rightly so. He is the anointed one of God. He is the Christ. That's also another name. But Jesus gets a lot of different titles. He's called a lot of different things in this story. He's called Messiah. He's called Rabbi. He's called Lamb of God. Now, that's the one that I'm really sort of grabbing onto that we hear from John the Baptist, because he says it not once but twice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is making an important connection to the Jewish festival of Passover. And this is a cultural thing that is very, very important. Now, to understand Passover, we got to back up. We got to go all the way back in the Old Testament to the, in the Hebrew scriptures to the book of Exodus, the story of Moses and Pharaoh and the 10 plagues that, in which the people of Israel were delivered and were set free. Now, the 10th plague, the final plague, the death of the firstborn, Moses was given instructions for the people by God who said, I want every single family to go out and slaughter a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and paint it on your doorposts because the presence of the divine is going to come through this land. When the presence of the divine, whether we want to call it God or the angel of God or the angel of death, whatever we want to call it, when the the presence of the divine sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, it passes over that house. That's where the name comes from. The blood literally saves them because if there is no blood, the presence enters into the house and the firstborn dies. The presence of death comes into that house. So it is quite literally the blood of the lamb that saves that house. Now, this idea of Passover, it was an ongoing ritual. It was an ongoing festival. It was an ongoing remembrance that the Jewish culture participated in every single year. And God told them that. You will do this every year to remember what God has done for you. And it's the festival of Passover that eventually will bring Jesus and his disciples into the city of Jerusalem and the events that we know as Holy Week the result in his death. Now, here's where John's gospel is ever so slightly different than the other three gospels, and that's the death date for Jesus. 
in John's gospel, Jesus is killed on the day of preparation, the day before Passover, the day when the lambs are slaughtered. And just as the blood of the lamb would save the house, it is the blood of Jesus, the lamb of God, that saves all of the world from our sins. Whatever it was that Jesus was accomplishing through his life and his death and then his resurrection, his blood somehow frees us from the power of sin and brokenness and death. That's ultimately where we're going to get to when Easter rolls around, but we're not there yet. And so I find myself wondering, why is it that John makes this proclamation? Why is it that John calls us this right now? Well, folks, I believe it's because John's gospel is intending us to connect back all the way back to the beginning. Think about the way John's gospel starts. Look it up if you don't have it in front of you, if you don't know it off the top of your head. John, verse 1, is in the beginning. The very same connection, the very same opening that we hear all the way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in the beginning. John, the gospel writer, wants us to connect the the presence of Jesus, who is also God, who is the divine-made flesh, wants us to connect that with God, that started this whole thing clear back in the beginning. And when we consider the names for Jesus, the the titles that he has given, I think we also need to consider the names that are given to God. And there's one back in Genesis that I think really, really, really matters. Back in Genesis, there's the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Now, after a lot of waiting, after waiting for God to deliver a baby for Sarah that never seems to happen, They get impatient, and so she gives her slave girl, Hagar, to her husband in order to have a baby. Hagar becomes the mother of Ishmael, Abraham's first son. Things do not go well in this whole family dynamic. Imagine that. Hagar and her son are cast out, but God shows up. And Hagar, this slave girl, who has been taken advantage of in so many different ways, she names God. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sees me. That same God who sees, that same divine one who sees, takes on flesh to dwell among us, becoming Jesus. The word became flesh. The one who sees become flesh to experience this world, this reality, to see it for himself. And then that one invites us to come and see as well. We hear that in our story today. The invitation that's offered by Jesus to come and see, he offers it to Andrew. And whatever happens in that time, Andrew becomes his follower. And then Andrew joins in the same work of invitation when he comes, when he goes and he finds his brother, come and see. And that same invitation, that same work, that same thing that, that Andrew joined in, we too are invited into as well when we become followers of Christ. The God who sees, the one who sees all of this also sees you and gives you the same claim, the same invitation to come and see, to come and experience it for yourself. Whatever your expectations are, whatever you're thinking about for the Messiah, whatever you're thinking about from God, whatever you're desiring from God, just come and see Have the encounter and see what God has for you. And then join in that same work of invitation.